Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Kevin O'Keefe. We're going to talk about different ways to collect. Kevin had some good ideas and he's a third grade teacher. That's why he's a really good teacher because he comes up with interesting ideas that that draw people into the conversation. So he has eight different things. He probably has more, but he listed eight to me. And I thought, I've collected some of those ways. First, thanks sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, Comsky.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Tops, Upper Deck, and Panini. Best part, I think, of uh, this hobby is that it, it could really never end. Whenever I think I'm uh, burnt out with collecting a certain way, then I'll just pivot and go into a different direction. But probably since COVID, I've now been collecting. I had collected by, obviously, Sport and broken down by Tops, Donruss, Upper Deck, and then by Year. But then I decided to pivot and put them all into uh, team boxes. So now I have all my cards organized into team boxes and just going through them and organizing them that way. I've got World Series cards. I got like veterinary team cards, league leader cards, rookie cards, ways to go. Is that because they don't go in a team? Some of the things you're talking about, like league leaders can be the, the three league leaders from three different teams and team cards could go in the team box. But a World Series card a lot of times involves both teams. So what is your primary way? I'm just trying to figure out if this is for convenience or you stumbled onto something. Maybe it's all the above, Jim, and maybe a little OCD, but I think it's what sparks the interest. So clearly I am organized and I think everything that I've mentioned can be done. The one thing that I haven't done is collected by player. One of the ways I collect that I haven't come across too many people doing is I have binders for each of the major products broken down by company. For example, I've got in my hands what I was doing this weekend, prestige football and playoff absolute football. So I'll have this binder and what the nine page sheets do great is that each year I'll have nine cards from prestige when it was a first product that came out early 2000s right through to this past year. So it gives you a nice kind of visual that this was what these cards look like each year, the front and backs. It's nice to look back on in terms of all these different sets. I agree, but I think the average collector, the more common approach is uh, player collecting, and you're going against that. You've got a great retrospective for all the prestige products, nine pocket, one page per product, but how are you picking the nine cards that go on that sheet? Are they your favorite players? Are they just random or uh, representative? You mentioned liking painted cards or artistic cards that weren't necessarily just photographs. How are you choosing your nine cards? Because I'm not a nine pocket guy, but if I were, I think what you're doing there would make a very nice visual presentation. But what players are you picking? You just representative or random? Totally random, Jim. This is a nice visual for entire brands. Uh, Going to baseball, you got Heritage, you got Allen and Ginter, and you can open up this nice binder and you can see from the inception of this particular product, Allen and Ginter. Here's what it looks like just by turning the pages. This is what it looked like from year to year. And this is what the back of the cards. Now, this particular line, it's fairly similar from year to year. In this case, I only have the sport figures, but every brand has their unique value. And Yeah, but Kevin, okay, you brought out your Allen & Ginner album, but I noticed it didn't look like you had any minis in there, which is yeah. a major feature of the product. True. That's why to each their own. I'm not interested in them. But the point is, Jim, brands and product driven in terms of the collecting. Here's a binder on Bowman. 
every year nine cards from the beginning when Topps had this product out. And you just see the evolution of the product. You realize when Topps had their archives auction back 30 plus years ago, this is what they had. What you're showing me is the way Topps did it of having these albums and this organization buy the products to see the evolution of the products side by side. But I think the typical person is a player collector. One of the things that you did mention that is player oriented is going after a player's last card, which mm-hmm. that was a big deal when I was a kid because you had the lifetime annual statistics. Not so much always anymore, but is that something that's on the back burner for you or you've got an album of last cards for players? And is that alphabetical or by team or how do you organize it? Yeah, so much free time you have when you're working. But yes, these are segregated in a couple boxes that you have to do some research. Is this really the last card from a major release? And for my interest is seeing all the statistics on the back, the career year by year, which we don't really have too much. The other fascinating part of this is we all collect the rookie cards, but obviously the last year cards never really caught on. I don't know if they ever will, but I find it fascinating because as I'm thinking of um, Gary Carter, you look at the last year's card and you've got um, a Dave Winfield in a Toronto Blue Jay uniform. You name the player and the weirdest team that you don't ever associate with them are generally speaking a lot of times their last year. So that in itself can be fascinating. The whole idea of last cards is appealing, but as you said, they could come back for one more. The the other thing I've noticed, and I think this is true for you, because I don't like to buy card. I like to buy collections. And it sounds Mm. like when you're getting stuff to put in your albums, it's not like you're going and you're ordering specific cards as much as you're buying a box of cards and seeing what's interesting. And that I want to delve into because that's what I do. I don't want to have a want list. I used to when I was trying to complete sets, but when I'm not completing sets, I'm just looking for interesting things. And I think you are too. Are you buying a box at a show or eBay or what is your source? It's usually Facebook marketplace. And I'm not interested in getting things through the mail. I'm looking for those diamonds. I'm looking through and finding different cards, interesting cards, sets I don't have. I recently came across a bunch of years, like for example, Stadium Club, a lot of these products and brands, they all of a sudden became expensive. You know, I'm not getting them at the Walmarts or the Targets and I don't have them. So to go through a big monster box, random, where I don't know they what's inside, that's what gets me excited. I'll find some diamonds in there and I'll find the 2014 bunch of cards from Stadium Club Baseball. I rarely go out and buy individual cards from my want list. I'm looking for those diamonds. That's the chase. And I think a lot of collectors can okay, relate you to that. you got a monster box. Are you just pulling nine cards from the stadium of 2014 baseball? What do you do with the others? You team sort them and, and set them aside or pull out yep. World Series or league leaders? Or what's your flow? Because the flow would be basically the major brands. We're going back years now, but you're talking about Donruss, Fleer, Upper Deck, Pops. Major brands of cards across all the sports. Not hockey. I'm not a hockey guy. But then I'll organize them according to the team boxes and everything else would be, yeah, what am I missing? Am I missing Fleer football from this year? Oh, okay. I don't have this one. What I end up doing is maybe keep uh, a quarter of it and the rest, then I'll just sell that. I'll go back and I I have a, a network of people that I'll sell 
what I don't want and put it back on Facebook. You're very much a nine pocket guy. And I'm just wondering, some of these ideas you had are not vertical cards. They're horizontal cards. Team cards mostly are horizontal, league leaders, a lot of the World Series cards. Does that bother you? Especially if you got nine cards there and if you got to flip it to the side or, you know, that, that used to bother me. Yeah, no, we're going into the weeds here, but yes, absolutely. Total OCD. I can't have nine cards where one is horizontal. It doesn't look nice. The presentation's not there. So I'll search out another vertical card for that particular year, that particular set. And if, if it's not popular, I know the clear tradition, baseball had a lot of years where they were all horizontal going back to the day. And in those cases, you just had to flip them. Why don't you get eight pocket sheets? Two uh, columns of four rows. Yeah, what a good point. I hadn't, um, hadn't thought of that. Yep, They're not point. as popular now. They generally were made for the 56 tops and that kind of a size and the tops bigs. If all cards were horizontal, then they, they would look good. But most cards are vertical and the horizontal ones look out of step and you can't display them. On my wall, the, the way a card is graded You've got to turn to the side if it's a horizontal card. Yeah, the other interesting uh, collection I have that I've been doing for the last 30 years is one card for as many different products that I could come up with through the years. All these different particular products, there's been hundreds and hundreds of. I've got one card, or at least what I've tried to do within each of the sports, one card for each product that's out there. One base card or one, one of every insert? No inserts. No, that would be impossible. Just the base card. I'm looking here. You've got Collector's Choice, Upper Deck. You've got Proline. Okay. It just, no inserts and no parallels. So yeah. One card. Not, into the, not into the inserts. I probably cost myself a lot of money. No, you, years, you, you no. saved yourself a lot of money because you didn't have to buy the, the most expensive ones. Like I said, you're one of the few guys that's not chasing expensive rookie cards. I guess if you buy a box and there's some in there, then that's to your credit, but you're not hunting them down and paying full price for those. You're looking for that diamond that you could then trade. To me, that's a type card collection. But how far back do you go? Going back to... um, 52, 48? uh, Yeah, mostly as you're in the 70s uh, and even most of the 80s, you just had, had top flagship. But mostly going back to the 90s, where all of a sudden now, it's flagship, it's stadium club, and late 90s, early 2000s, the amount of product from each manufacturer every week, and it's the same now. Uh, a lot of these particular one, just one card that I'll try to find in these monster boxes. Oh, wow, I don't have this particular brand. And why is it? Because it was a Topps Pristine, which cost $500 a box. I'm not going that, that direction, but if, if you find something hidden in a monster box like that, oh, I don't have one. That $500 box that you didn't buy a couple of years later, some cards from that box are going to be in the monster box that you get for less than $500. And you, you get what you want with a delayed gratification and you get to see it at a, at a more favorable price. That's for sure. So you must enjoy sorting cards. Definitely. There's those who do and those who don't. I, I enjoy sorting cards too. Yeah. Otherwise, you've just got to go after big grails you got to have a very small collection if you don't like to sort cards you don't want to buy a monster box because the chore of sorting it is anathema it just tears you up you want to buy one card or two card or three cards but i'm with Mm. you i want to buy a box of cards take them home see what i got and have some fun with it i'll see on uh, social media people ask what do people do with base cards 
and they're opening the box and they're only looking for the hits. And if that's not me, there's an owner for every card and they're not the owner for that card. And they're yeah. not even going to market it. They're going to leave it behind in some cases, or I imagine some of the boxes, they're almost like unwanted cards, but that doesn't mean nobody <laughs> wants them. Yeah. And I, I, I do that too. In fact, when I'm looking at an auction lot that I bid on, I'm looking for things that other people probably would not want to get. Then I'm not going to have to bid against anybody. It doesn't mean they're no good. It just means they're complicated or they would take some time and people regard the time as negative. There's some diamonds in there and I can't wait to see. And maybe I overpaid if it's already been panned for gold and completely stripped, but in most cases not. I appreciate you sharing your tips because people don't want to copy you and they don't want to copy me. And and that's okay because they hobby the way they want to hobby and there's any number of ways. So Kevin O'Keefe, thanks for uh, sharing some of your approaches and uh, stimulating that in me to think, yeah, I can do it different as well. Thanks everybody for listening. I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as I am. And I think Kevin's enjoying it too. And I enjoyed having Kevin on today. So thanks, Kevin. Thanks everybody.